soul. We believe you are God and in control. Welcome to the Worship Generation Radio Ministry with Pastor Joey Brand, a ministry of Worship Generation Church located in Fountain Valley, California. For more information, please visit us at www.worshipgeneration.com. We believe in the power of the gospel. We believe you can transform every soul. We believe you're the Savior. Now let's join Pastor Joey as we study through the Bible. Let the nations be glad, all his saints rejoice. And indeed, those who are the sons of Levi, now talking about the Jews and the Mosaic Covenant of the Old Testament, the priests, who receive the priesthood, have a commandment to receive tithes from the people according to the Old Testament law, that is, from their brethren, though they've come from the loins of Abraham. But he who received, excuse me, but he whose genealogy is not derived from them, received tithes from Abraham and blessed him who had the promises. Now beyond all contradiction, the lesser is blessed by the better. Here mortal men receive tithes, talking about the Jewish priesthood. But there he received them of whom is witness that he lives. Even Levi, who receives tithes, paid tithes through Abraham, so to speak, for he was still in the loins of his father when Melchizedek met him. Okay, here's where you have to think and stay with me. This is really important. So, 1500 B.C., God gives the Jews the Mosaic Law, the Ten Commandments, the Levitical priesthood, uh, the Jewish feasts and holidays, the animal sacrificial system, and then the civil law, how to govern a nation, kidnapping, murder, rape, all that kind of stuff, how you deal with these things, and how to have a civil society, how to enforce law. The law had three portions. The portion of the religious part, the animal sacrifices and the holidays that all represent Christ, they were entrusted to the Levites. So remember, you have Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. God changes Jacob's name to Israel. Israel has 12 sons. Da, 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 da. And here is Levi. And from that 12, one of those 12 tribes, all the priests of the Old Testament did their service. You couldn't just say, I want to be a priest. It's like, well, if you're not from the tribe of Levi, you can't be a priest. So if you're from Naphtali or Zebulun or Gad or, Nash or Asher or whatever, it's like, no. No, but I want to be a priest. You can't be a priest. You had to come, you had to be a Jew, and so that means you came from Father Abraham through Isaac and Jacob, Jacob's name changed to Israel, and you had to be from the tribe of Levi. The Levites were entrusted with the priesthood. So from 1500 BC till the time Christ came, the Levites did the priesthood. The animal sacrifices, they did the Passover lambs for the people in the public square during the holidays, they did all that stuff. And so the Hebrews in the New Testament, the book of Hebrews, they're like, well, we're going back to the law. And the writer of Hebrews is going like, God's saying, why would you do that? Why would you go to an inferior priesthood with animal sacrifices that could never take away your sins? I gave you a superior priesthood through my son, Jesus Christ, who ever lives and reigns as a high priest, according to the order of Melchizedek, not the Levites. So here's the visual. When Abraham gave a tithe to Melchizedek, from the spoil. He gave a tenth, a tithe. All Israel's within him. From his loins comes Isaac, Jacob, and all the descendants. As we saw in the previous chapter, his descendants will be like the sands of the sea or the dust of the earth. Every Jew traces their genealogy to Abraham, including the Levites. 
And so the point of the Holy Spirit is that when Abraham gave his tenth to Melchizedek, the one that gives is always inferior to the superior. So he's bowing the knee to Melchizedek. Melchizedek is clearly the superior in this situation. Abraham's bowing the knee and giving the tithe. So the one receiving the tithe is greater than the one giving it. Therefore, Melchizedek is greater than Abraham. Therefore, Melchizedek is greater than all the descendants of Abraham, including the Levites. So the priesthood of the Levites is inferior to the priesthood of Melchizedek. Because the priesthood of the Levites is in the loins of Abraham, and he's bowing the knee on behalf of every Jew to Melchizedek, who's a superior priesthood. And God says in Psalm 110 that Jesus is a priest according to the Lord Melchizedek, of which there's no beginning or ending. It precedes the Levitical priesthood, and it's superior to it, and it's eternal. It's an eternal priesthood. So that's why Melchizedek is such a, a mysterious, important person to us in the Bible. And it warrants an entire night on a Saturday night to understand who he is because he is a type of Christ. And he affirms to us, the story of Melchizedek affirms to us that you and I, when we have to face the grave and we're dying of cancer or dying of old age, that we face it with Jesus Christ, the high priest, according to the order of Melchizedek, and not according to the order of the priesthood, which puts the burden on us to save ourselves. But the burden is on Jesus Christ, who's already saved us. And that's the significance of Melchizedek. He's a type, a shadow of things to come. Christ came 2,000 years later, but halfway to there, 1,000 B.C., God spoke through David that his son, the Messiah, would be of the order of Melchizedek. And here in the New Testament, warning these ethnic Jewish Christians from going backwards to the Old Testament. He's like, why would you do that? Why would you go backwards? In fact, he goes on to say this, about this, the order of Melchizedek. He said, Jesus, in verse 22 of Hebrews 7, it says, by so much more, Jesus has become the guarantee of a better covenant because he is a high priest according to the order of Melchizedek, not the Levites. Jesus couldn't be a a priest according to the Levites because Jesus comes from the tribe of Judah, which is the line of the kings. But he is a king and a priest because his priesthood is not from the Levites. His priesthood is from Melchizedek, which is superior to the priesthood of the Levites. So he's the king and the priest of our salvation. He's not only the author and finisher of our faith. He's the king of our faith and he's the priest of our faith. And that's why it's all summed up in Hebrews 8 verse 1 where it says, Now this is the main point. We have a high priest who is seated at the right hand of the throne of majesty in heaven. See, if the descendants of Levite were your high priest and you're going backwards into some kind of self-righteous religion, I feel sorry for you. But our high priest is Jesus Christ, according to our Melchizedek, and he ever lives to intercede for us at the right hand of the Father right now. Therefore, we're told we can come boldly to the throne of grace in time of need, that he hears us and he intercedes for us. So you're going through a hard time, he's interceding for you. Before you're told that you're fired, he's interceding for you. Before you lied and slandered against, he's interceding for you. Before you have an accident that affects the rest of your life physically, he's interceding for you. When the doctor looks at it and says, you have terminal cancer, he's interceding for you before that day came. When the doctor says, your daughter has cancer and it's stage four, he's interceding for you before you saw that moment, in that moment, and after that moment, and everything you'll see from that moment. And I'm very worked up because I'm passionate because we need to know that Melchizedek is the type of Christ and Abraham, our father, bowed the knee to him. And he's linked to our salvation and the security of our faith in Jesus Christ as the son of God. God forbid that we think we can save ourselves. We are saved by grace, that through faith, not of works that anyone should boast. And we're told in Romans, God's a debtor to no man. 
He's the justifier of us through our faith in Jesus Christ so that no man can boast before him. And it's hard enough to watch men boast about things of men, but how sad to watch men and women think they can boast before God that they can save themselves and get to heaven on some form of self-righteousness. Boy, wouldn't it be sad if heaven was filled with people who say themselves? You work with them. You drive to work with them. You live next door to them. Heaven would not be a good place if we could justify ourselves to get there. Because that's what you're dealing with here in time, space, and matter. Heaven's going to be a beautiful place because it's like the body of Christ right now. We're saved by faith through grace, according to grace, through faith in Jesus Christ. And so, though we're not complete in a practical righteousness, we are signed, sealed, delivered in a positional righteousness through faith in Jesus Christ. And the story of this justification by faith and righteousness imputed to us begins with Melchizedek and what we just read tonight. It's amazing. Melchizedek, this incredible person, type of Christ with no beginning, no ending. Man, no genealogy. It's incredible. But there's more. Because in understanding who the person of Jesus Christ is, excuse me, the person of Melchizedek is, we understand how great our Savior is. And again, it's a justification by faith according to grace. Now, we need to consider Abram's response to this man, this priest, this king. Because the tithe of Abraham and Melchizedek teaches us a lot of things. As already mentioned, it teaches us the superiority of Melchizedek to Abram. Thus, he is a type of Christ. And he gave a tithe, so he gave a tenth of what he recovered from... I mean, you almost missed the reality of the combat. Like swords, knives, to death, hand-to-hand combat. Like, just the seriousness of it. Just the reality of war. And people killing each other. And fighting to the death. Abraham's coming off such an intense, incredible experience. And he was prepared for that experience. He trained hundreds of men to be commandos and be prepared to make a raid to save others who are considered innocent in his eyes. And he went after him. We read he went after him. He didn't double clutch. He didn't overthink it. He went after him. It was time sensitive. And he took his crew and he built relationships and he built allies and they went after him. And they tracked those guys down all the way to Damascus. And it's no short journey from Samaria to Damascus. 60, 90 miles, maybe 100. They're trucking. It's a triathlon. They're moving. They're moving at a high speed, double time. The adrenaline pumping. They're going to war. And they're going to war against these kings who have had everybody subjected to them for over a decade. And who just routed the kingdoms of Sodom and Gomorrah and are taking people they love and care about, at least certainly with the case of Lot and his household. And so they have this incredible battle, and we don't have any insight like what Abram said to the Lord, God protect me, God be with me. But in the next chapter, he says, I'm your reward and I'm your shield. And here when Melchizedek comes in, he goes, Melchizedek says to him, and blessed be God of the Most High who has delivered your enemies into your hand. So whether he cried out on, in route 
for the Lord to deliver the enemies into his hands. God did deliver the enemies into his hands. And how many times do we see in the Old Testament where God gave miraculous victories to the descendants of Abraham in being in the land? I mean, even go back even recently with the establishment of the nation of Israel. The existence of Israel as a nation right now as the descendants of Abraham in fulfillment of scripture is mind-bending. If you understand military and war and politics and global government politics with the UN, all this stuff, it's incredible that Israel's there right now. And praise the Lord, our country recognizes the capital of Israel as being Jerusalem. And God honors his country for that. He does. Make no mistake about that. You know, before Israel became a nation, before the UN Council, by a vote of three to two, allowed them to become a nation in 1948, under British mandate, no Jews or Israelites were allowed to have a firearm. Firearm was capital punishment. And the British who were occupying were as anti-Semitic as anyone else ever was, even in World War II in Eastern Europe, the Germans, everybody. And there's a lot of good books you can read about Menachem Begin and these sorts of people. They're amazing, those Jewish leaders that were there when it became a nation. They were attacked by five countries simultaneously the moment they became a nation, the day of their independence. And having had to hide weapons under British mandate, they had to defend themselves from total annihilation, and they did. And after that long, protracted war of attrition with Israel in the Sinai in the 50s, in the Six-Day War, it was incredible. And in the Yom Kippur War of 73, they should have been wiped out. Certainly, they were caught off guard, and the Syrians should have wiped them out. And time and time again, there's incredible, miraculous stories where God protected the Israeli Defense Forces and the country from being routed and driven into the ocean, which is what their enemies want to do to them right now, which is why we're still in the news with everything, with Iran the Middle East, Russia, Syria. This all just goes on and on and on and on. This is our generation, what we're seeing in our timeline. And at some point, it's going to play out. And it's Armageddon. Chuck thought it was going to be in the 70s. It might be in the 2020s. Who knows? Might Our grandkids and our great-grandkids may never even live to see it. But know this. It's going to play out a certain way. And so with that protection and that victory... And the exhaustion of going 120 miles toward Damascus, fighting this military campaign, coming back with all the people, the relief, the rescue, the sense of rescue, like Radon and Tebi, how the people felt in their return. Think about, what were they thinking about their life? They're going to be captives. They're going to be slaves. And they've been liberated by these commandos of Abram. And they come back. And here comes the king of Sodom and Gomorrah, like, hey, dude, you did it, right? Because that's how the world is. The world loves a winner. Abram's a winner by world standards. It's a success story. Where these kings fled like cowards, he pursued those enemies that they fled from, and he pursued them, and he crushed them, and they recovered everything. And before that conversation unfolds, there's Melchizedek, the bread, the wine, like, hey, priest of the Most High God, king of Salem, king of peace. After going to war. It's an amazing story. And he pronounces the blessings. And declares the blessings. And how the victory came about. And what does Abraham do? It's a very short verse. Oh, it's a short line in my Bible. It's, and he gave him a tithe of all. See, 
at this point, Abraham recognizes what's already been promised to him in the previous chapters, which we studied on Tuesday night, and which we saw. Because in the previous chapters, God said to Abraham, all this I'm giving to you, north, south, east, west. Don't worry about Lot picking the best land, whatever. Go for a walk, is what he told Abraham. Go for a walk. Walk in the land. Go for a walk in the land I'm giving you and your descendants, even though your wife can't have children and you have no descendants. Go for a walk. Go for a walk in your faith. Go for a walk and try on the shoes you're going to wear. Try being who you're meant to be before you're that person in a good way. Or as Pastor Chuck used to say, when you get to heaven, you don't want to act like you don't know what it's like to worship the Lord. So you should worship him in time, space, and matter so you've kind of got your worship muscles going and you're not caught off guard. And God told Abraham, look, I'm making these promises to you and I know your wife's beautiful and older and past childbearing, but I'm going to give you more as if this dust could be your descendants. You could count it. You can't. So go walk. Go for a walk. God told him, go for a walk. Go north. Go south. Go east. Go west. You promise it. It's all yours because I'm going to give it all to you. And in that declaration, and I'm sure in that little hike he took with the Lord, a lot of things probably went on in his mind. And he came to a place of understanding that his whole life was the Lord. We see that in Genesis 22 when he offers up Isaac, you did not withhold your son, your only son. Like everything he has is the Lord's. Everything he is, his time, his breath of life, his wealth, his gold, his silver, his possessions, his commando unit, everybody, it's all the Lord's. He's a tent dweller in the land of promise, and he looks for the city which has foundations, builder and maker's God, and everything he has is the Lord's. And so what does he do? He says, this is, I mean, the tithe is kind of silly almost, if you really think about it, not to take away from the tithe, because obviously it's a biblical model. And it's a great model in your giving. But I would emphasize, it's not like paying the government 30% or something or whatever, the state, the feds, or whatever. I mean, the tenth just recognizes that God's over all of it. It's all from him. Or as Job said when he lost everything, naked I came from the womb, naked I'll return, the Lord has given, the Lord has taken, blessed be the name of the Lord. And his wife said, just curse God and die. And he goes, we've accepted blessing, should we not accept adversity? And what did Paul say? I've learned to abound, I've learned to abase. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. The tithe isn't a tax that comes from heaven. The tithe is just a symbolic bowing of the knee that says, God, you're over everything. And we need to know he's over everything. Our breath of life, our, our, our good health, our poor health, our fading health. He's over everything. Everything we have is from the Lord. In listening to Pastor Chuck teach Ecclesiastes recently, I could tell he was a bit frustrated with Solomon because you can always kind of read Chuck. And in talking about Ecclesiastes, he said it's such a a futile book because it's limiting to the human experience to two dimensions because we're spirit, mind, and body. And Ecclesiastes is looking at life without the spirit and devoid of a spiritual life. And so the frustration with you accumulate all this wealth and someone takes it from you. And you know, when Chuck talks about like having all this money and then your relatives and the distant relatives and the government and you throw in all these taxation brackets from the 70s and what government does, it's actually, it's worth listening to. Pastor Chuck, Ecclesiastes 1 through 6, it's worth listening to. But the point is, is his emphasis from four decades ago to a bygone generation was that, Once you add the Holy Spirit, 
and you're complete, you're born again and you're made anew, everything is the Lord's. And you don't worry about it. The Lord gives and the Lord takes. And we're here. And it's not about a tithe. It's about our whole life belonging to the Lord. It's about our thoughts belonging to the Lord. It's about our private time belonging to the Lord. It's about our marriages belonging to the Lord, our singleness, our wealth, our poverty, our job, our losing our job, our education. It's all the Lord. Our special needs children, our adopted children, everything. It's all the Lord's. It's his. And as Hudson Teddy would say, let him bear it. Hudson Teddy used to get so overwhelmed at the thought of these missionaries that would come on six-month journeys to come to China and work for the Inland China Mission without any guaranteed support in the 1800s in times of war and poverty. And he, and he was so terrified of that that he couldn't even start the Inland China Mission. And God said, it's mine. It's all mine. You're calling China, the people that are going to come. It's all mine. You give it to me and don't take it back. It's all mine. It's all the Lord's. It's all the Lord's. He's coming back with all this wealth from this great military campaign. And the king of Sodom's like, oh, oh, the people, oh, she's back, good. Yeah, these people, oh, the, yeah, he knows how to make a lot of money. Da, ba, 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 ba. And he's looking at all these people, and he's like, and, and Melchizedek comes on the scene, and, and Abraham just bows the knee and gives the tithe. And does everything there with Melchizedek and gets the perspective of eternity and the things that really matter. That tithe is much more than a tithe. It basically says, all I am, all I'll ever be is you. It's all from you and for you. So let's go forward. And that's why in the very next verse of chapter 15, do not be afraid. I'm your great shield and your reward. I've got you. But the last thing is the Sodom king. Hey, keep the wealth. Give us the people. Isn't that the world wants the, the people? The people, because people's a great asset. The communists want to control people. Political parties want to control people. The devil loves souls, and the battle for one soul is incredible if you've ever tried to just win one person to the Lord. It's the people. Keep all the goods. Keep all the goods. I want the people. And, you know, Abram, just, he just said, I'm not going to take anything from you. I take nothing from you. See, it's interesting. He, he gives the tithe to Melchizedek, and then the king of Sodom's like, hey, this is awesome. So let's have a little settlement here without arbitration. I give you everything but the people. How's that sound? He goes, I don't want anything. I don't want you saying you made me rich. God is the one who provides for me. God's the one who blesses me. I don't need you or your money or your worldview or the compromise I need to make to receive your money. And of course, this brings us to closing with Pastor Chuck's famous story when they were building 3800 South Fairview Avenue over there at Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa. And they needed a million dollars. And a man came up to Chuck and handed him a check for a million dollars. Seven-digit check. That's a pretty big check, you know. Especially for a guy that pastored a lot of small churches for a lot of years. And Chuck was like, whoopee, yippee. And he goes home and he tells Kay, yippee, you know. And then, and then the Lord's like, you can't take it. You can't receive that million dollars because that man will say he made this ministry and only I can make this ministry. You know, the man that can turn down a million dollar tithe is probably the man that can be entrusted with a billion dollar tithe. Just for the record. Just saying. Or as a wealthy friend once told me, it's just zeros. <laughs> yeah, but they do make a difference. You know? no, it's just zeros. It's just zeros. 
That's all that is. And all gets left behind. As a Calvary Chapel pastor, I got to say, of all things that Pastor Chuck, our founder, did in his lifetime that inspires me, turning down a million-dollar tithe to build your new sanctuary, it's right up there in the top three. It makes podium. It's, that's really something special. Because most of the time, if someone offered you a lot of money and said, no, it's just for you, you'd be like, well, what's the catch, right? See, and, and that's kind of like this king of song, like, hey, you can have the thing, but, you know, there's going to be a catch because now we're in alliance together. We're a partnership. No, no we're not. It's a one-time deal. And I didn't do it for you. I did it for a lot. You see the distinction? So who you give to and who you honor is the Lord, everything. But who you don't take from also is a way of honoring the Lord. As much as Abraham giving the tithe of Melchizedek stands out to us, we cannot miss that he who would not take from the kings of Sodom because he has nothing in common with the kings of Sodom. He's the one that's going to intercede for the people of Sodom in just a couple chapters. Light and darkness, there's always a distinction, and it definitely affects the pocketbook. So let God own everything, and no compromises. That's the lesson of Abraham and Melchizedek. You've been listening to the Worship Generation Radio Ministry with Pastor Joey Brandt. If you would like more information about the ministry of Worship Generation, visit us online at www.worshipgeneration.com, where you can listen to the podcast of today's entire message. Worship Generation is located at 10350 Ellis Avenue in Fountain Valley, California. Our service times are Saturday evenings at 6 p.m. and Tuesdays at 7 p.m. And also follow Pastor Joey on Instagram under the tag name at Joey Brand. Thanks for listening and God bless. Not ashamed of the gospel. Not ashamed, not ashamed of the one I love. Not ashamed, not ashamed.